0: Good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant, and if you're visiting us with this, visiting with us this morning, let me also just extend a welcome to you. We're, we're glad you're here with us this morning on this Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. Uh, I was told in seminary, in one of my classes, they said, you know, uh, a congregation can, can forgive all kinds of shortcomings and failures of a pastor, but woe to the man who doesn't, you know, say happy Mother's Day on Mother's Day, so... There it is. I mean, you all know that Mother's Day is so hugely more of an important deal than Father's Day. Father's Day was a tack on to make it feel, you know, make us feel a little bit better. But the truth is, I found that, you know, certainly at the very least, childbearing, if that were left up to fathers, no family would have more than one child and the human race would die out in (laughs) the space of about three generations. So we want to honor our mothers and to say thank you. Uh, You find us this morning, if you're coming and visiting, we're in the middle of a series on the book of James, and we've been here for a number of months, and we turn back to it this morning. You will find this, if you turn with me, uh, if you're using our Pew Bible on page 1013, this morning we're looking at James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Uh, And and unless you're preaching an actual Mother's Day sermon, which I'm not, I'm finding every year it's interesting to find out where we land actually on Mother's Day and... So here we are this morning, we're talking about speech, and we're talking about how it's used well or not well, and we all know how, that, how important that is in our own families. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in and see what James has to talk to us about with speech this morning. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we do come to you this morning, all of us speakers, people who speak to and about each other, who are always using our words for good or for ill, we pray that you would speak to us this morning that good word, that word from you, the word of the gospel, the word that comes to us in scripture. Would you use your word to do good work in us? We ask you that you would do that by the power of your spirit, and it's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray this boldly, amen. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our Lord stands forever. So to it we turn. This is not the first time that James has brought up the importance of speech and certain aspects of speech. If you've been with us, you know, in chapter 3, he gives his most extended discourse about the power of the tongue, the power the tongue has to bring life or death, the power the tongue has to bring encouragement or to destroy. And James comes back to that theme this morning with a certain kind of speech in mind. You see the way it says here, it says, speak no evil, speak no evil. So that's the topic of what we're looking at this morning in these two verses. Speak no evil. First, we're going to talk about what it is to do that and what it does, what that kind of speech does, and how to be free of it. So first, what it is. You see what James says here in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another's brothers, Uh, That's what it says here in the translation I'm using, the ESV. If you're using the NIV, it might say something like, Do not slander, which is also a good translation of it. The Greek here literally, the word literally means to speak against. Okay, so he says, Do not speak against one another. And James uses it three times here in verse 11. Do not, it translated here, Do not speak evil. But then the second part, the one who speaks against, same words, speaks evil against the word and judges the law. He doesn't want us to speak against. He doesn't want us... To speak evil, speech that is used in harmful ways against others. You notice how uh, he, he talks about our speech, what comes out of our lips, but as, as James does, he, he quickly ties that, not simply from our, our outward actions, but straight to the heart, because he ties our speech to where our speech flows from. It flows right out of our heart. And he says, So he says to us, he says, Not only do not speak evil, but he says, do not judge. He says, do not judge my brothers, because no one who speaks against someone does so without first having taken them to court in their own heart and found them guilty and wanting to speak against is to verbalize a judgment that you've already formed inside of you. So James comes and says, do not speak evil and do not judge. Now, to get out what that means, we need to hit on a couple of things that it doesn't mean. Okay? When he says, do not speak evil against, do not speak against, James is not simply referring to the truthfulness of what's said, as if he were simply saying this, you know, don't say things about other people that aren't true. Or don't slander them by speaking evil of them, things they haven't done, of, of accusing them in a, in a formal uh, setting, like in a court. Or in an informal setting, like the court of people's opinion in the community around you, he's not simply saying, "Don't say things that are false." And of course, he means that. But when he says, "Don't speak against," he can also be—we can also speak against somebody by by saying things that are true in the wrong context, or to the wrong people, or with the wrong motivation. You know what? You know how it is to have things to say things or have things said about you that are true that can bring incredible damage that are used as weapons against you. So when he says, don't speak against, that speaking against could be speaking something false about someone, or it could very well be speaking something that is true. Because his point isn't simply the truthfulness of the speech, it's the use to which it's put. Now the second thing it doesn't mean, not just about truthfulness, he's also not saying, when he says, do not judge, James is also not saying, do not make moral evaluations in the world around you. Okay, don't, don't look at the world around you and size up how things really are morally. In other words, you don't, you don't have to look out at the world and see things that are plainly evil and turn a blind eye to them or say that they're good and there are many th- things we see around us where it would in fact be, it would be, a, you know, it would be a crime and a sin to turn away from it and ignore evil. He says it's not that we don't make moral evaluations. We are all making those all the time. In fact, James does too in some sharp ways. If you look back in the first few verses of this passage, in chapter, or of this chapter, chapter 4, you know, James speaking very strongly into some moral problems in this congregation, he says stuff like this, you know, you are, a, you are a, an adulterous people. You've been unfaithful to your God. Where he looks and he, and he says to them in verse eight, "Cleanse your hands, you sinners; purify your hearts, you double-minded." Okay, James isn't saying we don't make we don't make moral observations and, and understand what's going on among ourselves. He says, "Of course we do." And throughout James and throughout the Bible, we see moral exhortations of all kinds, and they come to people because they're not living in them. You know, when James comes and says this to us, it's just because we have we have veered off, and he wants to bring us home and it, Happens in other contexts in the Bible. You know, here's here's one. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 18 said this. You know, if a brother has something against you, if there's been a break in relationship, then you need to go to that person and try to make it right. And if that person won't listen to you, then you need to go bring a friend with you so that hopefully the two of you will be able to draw that person out so you can settle things. And he says, if it keeps going and this person hardens themselves and won't turn around, he says, bring it to the church. And ultimately, he says, somebody might actually be turned out of a church because they won't turn around. James or Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, but I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay, now what is Paul saying? I mean, here you've got James saying, don't judge other people. And you've got Paul very clearly saying, look, of course you judge the people that are in in the church. Now, is this this James and Paul, you know, batting heads on what they think is right and true? Well, James and Paul are speaking in very different situations. Paul, just as in Matthew 18, as Jesus addresses, Paul's addressing a situation where there's somebody who names the name of Christ, calls himself a believer, and who falls into deep and egregious sin and won't turn around, won't repent, but continues to live with their fist in the face of God. And he says there's a place for the church and for the leaders of the church to bring real discipline into that person's life. So Paul is saying, you know, we don't turn our backs on sin, sin matters. But you see, James is talking about the much more common situation that we find ourselves in, often on a daily basis with all of just the criticism and the snap judgment, In the weight of judging that we all bring into our days and let fly to the world around us. James is talking about the world in which we live on a daily basis where we are people so often judging one another uh, in some just amazing ways. And he comes to us and says, brothers, this, this shouldn't be. James is talking about posture. He's talking about our posture in relating to one another. Is it one of judgment or is it one of mercy and grace? He, he mentions this. He says, "You know, when you take on this role, when you when you when you judge another person, you're actually taking on the role of a judge." And he says, "A judge is not up here. A judge is one who sits above someone else in judgment on them." And he says, as soon, "Brothers, as soon as sisters, as soon as you start doing that, there's been a break of relationship, and you have taken the the moral high ground, and you're using it." to bring the weight of the law down on someone else's head. He says we are not to judge one another. Part of the problem with that is, and James points this out, we're just not good judges. We're underqualified, right? He says there is only one who is judged. The one who has the power to save and the power to destroy. Think about the situations in which you find yourself judging others or if you've received that from others. How often is that God's perfect standard to which we all fall flat? How much of it is our own standard for the way we think conduct ought to happen? How quick are we to judge others for those things that we see around us in the lives of others that just happen to not be the very things that we struggle with, right? Very low bar for ourselves in some areas of life, but a very high bar in other areas. And when when people don't meet that, we look in criticism criticism and judgment over them. That, you know, fine and good. Most of us likely, maybe we're sitting here, we're thinking, okay, do I judge people like that? Okay, is James talking to me or is he just talking to that person next to me? Okay, here's uh, a couple questions. How do you know? How do you know if you judge in this way? How do I know if we judge in this way? Okay, let me just throw out a few uh, ideas for our self-examination. When you hear or see or notice the failings of others, do you think to yourself, can you believe that? Some people, it is amazing to me, how could somebody do something like that? How could somebody be like that? Or do you think something like this? You know, if I'm honest with myself, you change a few things about my situation, my upbringing, what's going on in my life right now, you change just a few things, and that could so easily be me. Right in that very same spot. Only but by the grace of God am I not floundering in that myself right now. Or how about this? Do you find that seeing the failure of others or hearing about it or passing it along to others gives you that moment of warmth? Sort of that that thrill of either, you know, yeah, they did do that, didn't they? Or let me just pass on this news to you and all eyes are on you. Because you know how juicy that piece of information can be and you know how drawn we are often to hear about the things that maybe we just don't need to hear about. And you know what it's like to feel that moment, even if you're shamed by it, that moment of gratification of I'm just going to savor this for a moment. And you throw in that information about someone with whom, with whom you have a difficult relationship and it only gets that much more intense. Do we find that kind of joy in those moments? this would others say that you are quick to notice and to celebrate the good that you see in the lives of people around you or that you are someone who tends to latch on to the offenses of those that you observe around you what's sort of the general trend for you okay let me be a little more specific you know, that person who pulled out right in front of you on Jamestown Road when you're uh, on your way to church today, and you, you were forced to just ever so briefly hit your brakes so that you wouldn't hit them. And you look at them and you think, you know, there is somebody who momentarily made a poor driving decision in judgment, just as I want to do myself on occasion. Or do you look and you see that person, that menace to society, who has been lurking on that side street, Who has your license plate number saw you coming and floored it just to ruin your day, right? Which person do you see? Or you're in a public place and you see that family, the family with that whiny child who won't stop crying and who won't stop begging his parents for something over and over again, who won't obey, and the parents have to keep saying hush and it just seems pathetic, and you look at them and you think, not my child. Or one better, myself, before I had children, mind you, looking at that saying, my children will never be like that, right? <laughs> From my well and reservoir of wisdom of child-rearing. Child or do you look and you see that family and you think, you know, the truth is, raising children is hard. And some days are harder than others. Life's hard. They're having a bad day. I wonder if I can help, or at least pray for them. Or, man, I know what it's like to be there. Or here's another way. Do people feel safe around you and safe in this way? Do people feel safe around you, safe in such a way that they can come and tell you their struggles and tell you their failings and know that you're going to be someone who's going to walk alongside them and encourage them and help in this? Or do you find that no one ever shares that kind of information with you? And is that possibly because people know you look and say, "I'm I'm just not sure it's safe there. Not sure I can bring it to that person without hearing about it elsewhere. Or I'm not sure I can bring it to that person without being met first by the disapproving eye. Are people safe coming to you? What about the behavior that, that grabs you? What is it that draws you into this judgmental kind of mind frame? What is it that, what is it that you bring down the gavel on in other people's lives? If you were to look at me, you'd, you'd find I have a long list of those, uh, one of which that maybe just illustrates how silly this whole business is. I feel like I can read I, – I mean, I, you know, I might be kidding myself, but I, I mean, I can read the newspaper. I can watch the news, and you hear about some of the horrible things that go on. You, you hear about the murders. You hear about the, the, the crime. And on the one hand, I can – I can I can read that and I can look at that and I go, you know, I have a theological grid for that. We live in a very fallen world. Like the like the fall really did incredible damage to us and it's no surprise to me the depths to which people can sink or even I could sink. But here's the thing, when I see people litter, I think to myself, what Depraved humanity, I see in front of myself. Like, who in their right mind can take a McDonald's cup and just throw it over their shoulder? How could you do that? Murder, yes, but litter, you know? <laughs> and down comes the gavel. And I assure you, I, I, I find myself on the inside doing that in much more serious things than that. What is it that grabs? You now, James goes on to say, I mean, you know, that kind of judgment and that kind of speaking against it is damaging in any context in which we find it. But again, in chapter four, especially James is speaking to people within the church, and he says this is happening. He he said this is happening among you, among God's people. He says this should not be happening. Verse eleven, he said when he talks about not speaking evil against one of your brothers, he says this is happening in your church family. Of all the places in the world, this should be a place where that is not happening. Okay, that's what it is, this sort of evil speech and judgment. Now, what does it do? It does two things. It destroys community. And it destroys us as individuals. First, it destroys community. Again, James has been in this community mindset. The Christian community in James chapter 4. Here's what he says in verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Or in chapter 3, verses 8-10, through 10, and when he's speaking again about the tongue, he says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He says, this speech of yours, it is destroying the community that you're a part of. God's family says it is it is causing ruptures. And you have to stop. You have to stop the hemorrhage that's happening even among your community. And the way James speaks of it, he says, this is not, when you do this, you are actually violating the law. And here's what, what James means by that. It says, whoever does this, you know, speaks against and judges the law. James has in mind a particular passage in the law. And this comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. And let me read this for you. It says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Okay, the whole setup there. You shall not be a slanderer. You shall not have evil speech. This is where he's getting it. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but, and here's the familiar phrase for us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, We hear that on the lips of Jesus. We hear it on the lips in our our, uh, culture, too. We know this saying. This is where it comes from in Leviticus 19, and that... Also known as the royal law of love, is what James has in his sights when he says, When you become a judge over your brother or over your sister, you are judging the law. You're judging this law, this law that says to us, Love your neighbor as yourself. In the very moment when we take up the gavel as the judge, we're turning from this command. We're standing in judgment over it. We're saying, This doesn't apply to me right now. Forget love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to judge my neighbor as God the judge only can. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's his criticism of what's going on in the community because he says when this kind of speech happens, it it destroys the community. And think about this in contrast to what God created his people to be, a people who are made right, who are reconciled to their God and to each other in the body of Christ. He says, he says, your relationship with other Christians in the local church and more broadly, he said, that is to be a picture of God's kingdom at work. That, when we experience it rightly, when we taste the sweetness of it, that is a true and genuine taste of heaven come to earth, of things made right. He said, you are a people who have been made right with God and you're to be made right with each other. How could speech like this last? Now, imagine if we really lived that out in a consistent way. Imagine for ourselves as we enjoy that and for a world looking on to see the winsomeness, the gentleness, the appropriateness of speech as it's used among God's people. Imagine a community where your weaknesses and your failings are known without being exploited, without being gossiped about are addressed to you in love rather than addressed to others about you in judgment. A community without slander. Or, to use other words of Paul, a community that speaks the truth in love. Imagine living a part of a community like that. In the picture, that would be not only for us, but for the world around us. Uh, my wife has a phrase that, that she uses on me, and has been for a long time now. When, uh, when, I'm, when I'm just caught, you know... I do something dumb, when I'm hurtful, when she, when she sees kind of the facade ripped off again, she sees me wanting to run, she looks at me and says this. I was waiting you see if the phone is going to ring again. <laughs> she looks at me and says this. Known and loved. Known and loved. Brandon, I see it, and I love you anyway. Known and loved. James is giving us a picture of a community that says, known and loved. Of course we're going to know the stuff. People are going to be loved in the midst of it. And our words are going to reflect that, known and loved. That's the picture that he has for our community. Jesus, James is only echoing Jesus' thought when he says this in John thirteen thirty-five. He says this to his disciples. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you're incredibly theologically astute. Or, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you're know, if you rightly indignant about the evils of our society around us. All this, everyone will know you're my disciples if... Those are important things, but Jesus says this. Everyone will know you're my disciples by your love, one for another. By your love. He says that's going to put Jesus on display, and the world will look around and say... Jesus is there because look at the way they treat one another. Look at the way they treat others outside their community. Look at the love and look at the respectful speech. Look at the healing of community. Jesus said, others will know that you follow me by your love for one another. And when we miss this, we miss an opportunity to participate in what God is doing. We miss the good fruit of the gospel and we miss an opportunity to show it to a world that desperately needs to see speech used rightly and people loved well. It destroys community. But the second thing, it destroys you and it destroys me. This kind of speaking against, it destroys us. Because as James points out, he says, when you speak like this and when you judge like this, you're putting yourself over someone. You're putting yourself in the position of judge. And he says, you know, you are not, he says, you're, he says, you're being a judge over the law rather than a doer of the law. Do you see that phrase in there? It's an echo of what James had said earlier in uh, the first couple chapters of James where he says, you know, you, you, you double-minded people. He says, you know, you, you ask, but you don't receive all this stuff. He says, because uh, you are not, you are hearers of the law, but not doers. He says, you were to be doers of the law. And so when he says it destroys you, he says, when you are not functioning as a doer of the law, but rather a judge, he says, you have stepped outside of what your calling is as a human being. You're going cross-purposes to the way you were designed because we are designed to be in right and submissive relationship to our God in a relationship arm-in-arm with the people around us. We are to be made right in both directions. And so he says when you take yourself away from that and become a judge rather than a doer of the law, you've forsaken what is so central to who you are as a human being. And any time we are trying to live a life outside of right relationship with God, living in light of Him in relationship to Him and in right relationship with each other, then we are running against the grain of the universe, against the grain of what we are created to be. He says that will destroy you. That will destroy you. To speak this way, to judge this way, destroys the community and destroys you. This can happen quickly or it can happen slowly. I mean, some of us, maybe you've seen this in your own family or relationships of your own. Uh, There are times when something can be said or something can be done that is so harmful that it it utterly destroys a relationship in a moment. But most often, in most of our relationships, it happens very slowly over a long period of time. I mean, it's Mother's Day. Some of us maybe remember a, a relationship with uh, our own mothers, maybe you have a relationship with your mother that was never quite right, and she had these comments, that these criticisms that came at you slowly and subtly, but over the years and over the years and over the years. Maybe that's happened in your marriage. Not one quick, decisive thing, but this constant undermining. We're in a relationship with a friend that used to be so sweet and over the years has somehow imperceptibly so slowly gone somehow so sour. Think about the home in which you live. There are things that can happen like our th- thunderstorm last night that can uh, you know send a tree down and destroy your house in a moment. Or you can go for years and years with termites eating things away from the inside and you can't see it until one day it all just crumbles to dust. James warns us because these kinds this kind of speech and this kind of judging can be so subtle. Because maybe for some of us, it's going on in us all the time, but it only leaks out in the subtlest ways. And the people around you over time know that there's some sort of toxic leak that they're being exposed to, but they just can't quite put their finger on it, but it's going to do its damage nonetheless. James says that's what it is, this evil speech against, and that's what it does. And he speaks to us also about how can we be free? How can we be free from this? For those of us who are speakers of this and the ways in which we've received it, how are we going to be set free from this? James points us to that in in maybe what feels like an unlikely way. Look at verse 12 again with me. He says, There is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy. And on the surface, it sort of looks like just this this bald uh, statement of God's power. And y'all ought to... Shape up, because remember, there's one who has the power to destroy you and one who has the power to save you, and that is certainly true, but but there's more to what James is saying. Because here he says to us, as we bring people before the court of our judgment, and as we are brought before the court of others, where the verdict so inevitably is guilty, the sentence is brought, the gavel is dropped, and we are condemned, James immediately brings us into view, there is a true judge. There is a right judge who holds the power in his hand not only to condemn, but, and here's the good news, the power to save, the power to vindicate, the power to set free. Because when James says we stand before the judge, James knows for his people, and we need to be reminded from time to time, we stand before a God who is holy. A God before whom, if we're honest, the Bible's clear on this, we all fail miserably. And this sentence of judgment to which he alludes is one that we well deserve. But James immediately brings him around and says, there is a God who is able to save. Because as he speaks to this congregation, he reminds me, he says, as you have come into relationship with Jesus, and James would tell us too, this is what is offered to us in Jesus, a relationship made right, where there is in fact a judge, but one who does not simply stand above and beyond the bench, but who steps around the other side and comes and stands in the dock, not simply with us, but for us. Paul put it this way in Romans 8. He said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's saying, The judge has stood and sent his Son, Jesus, that we might be set free from judgment, that sin would in fact be punished, that the gavel would come down, but the condemnation would not fall on our heads, but on Jesus's. That is His gift for us. Now take that thought just for a moment and hold on to it. And then think about this. To the degree to which you and I grab hold of, in tangible ways, that reality in our lives. We are people who deserve to be in the dock, but instead Jesus has taken our place and the gavel has come down on Him and not on us. How then now, in that very same breath, can I turn and render judgment on the person next to me? James reminds us that we are people who've received grace in Christ. And that has to be, and is the only, only thing that can be, the fuel that's going to allow us now to actually extend grace to others. To step off the bench, to no longer try to be the judge, to be the ones who speak grace and healing into the lives of others. He says it comes from knowing and tasting and resting in the gospel ourselves. Let me just conclude with this. Just a couple, hopefully really practical ways to maybe get your hands around this. Uh, Here's one thing. Get help. Okay? Is there somebody in your life, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a good friend, maybe it's one of your children, is there somebody in your life that hears your speech and can help you begin to really listen to your words? To really hear what you're communicating and saying to others. The one... Uh, Liz and I used to, Elizabeth and I used to do it this way uh, A number of years ago When we realized we were both struggling With being really critical That we went through this phase Where anytime somebody would say something critical you sort of go yellow flag <laughs> you know uh, and, and it was that subtle reminder of, of Okay, there you are doing it again i do the same thing Stop Invite somebody in your life to help you here Second thing, give help Maybe this is harder especially among the community of of other people, don't listen. Stop others gently as they begin to speak things that you know and they know they shouldn't speak. You know that moment where something is about to be revealed that you you know you just shouldn't hear. Love your brother or sister enough to say, wait, don't. Let's stop. Or that judgment that's coming out information that shouldn't be given, stop. As we remind ourselves that we are to love one another, not judge one another, because there is a judge. I've read that there are theaters that have uh, some sort of, that they have cell phone jammers. Okay, I have no idea how you jam a cell phone transmission. I'm sure it exposes us to some sort of radiation that's really dangerous. Uh, But it also apparently stops cell phones. So you could be in a theater and they turn this thing on and nobody's cell phone rings because the signal just doesn't get through. James is exhorting us to be a community where those signals, those evil words just don't get through, where it just doesn't go from caller to receiver, where they're stopped in transmission for the good of all of us. Another thought practice in small things you maybe you know situations in your life where you're led to speak harshly in moments of confrontation practice in small things when you're speaking to your children over breakfast when you're reading the newspaper and muttering your disapproval when you're tempted to pick up the pen and write into the last word gently put it back down when you're driving across town and that Minister Society comes your way. The words muttered under your breath, practice in the small things. And then finally just this. Pray this verse. If you got a pen, write this down. Psalm nineteen verse fourteen. Psalm on nineteen fourteen it says this Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Remind yourself of it a thousand times a day. Let's speak it into the lives of each other. And may we be people who speak well. Let's pray. Father, we do come in light of your conviction because we are people who use our words badly into to the harm of others. Lord, would you make it so that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we as people with broken tongues, we come to You, our redeemer for forgiveness, and we find it in You. May we be speakers of grace to others. And we pray that this community would taste this deeply and that we would show it to the world around us and invite them in and show them a different way to live, a beautiful way to live, and a beautiful way to speak. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.